What you doing? I'm running out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions. You are Locked On Packers, your daily podcast on the Green Bay Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are Locked On Packers. Hello, this is Bill Huber, the publisher of PackerReport.com, part of the Scout.com network, which brings you some of the best NFL and college football coverage that you can find anywhere. And I promise you one thing on this Tuesday, a politics-free conversation. I'm telling you, there's nothing worse than going on my Twitter timeline last night. And all these NFL experts are spouting off on the debate. Here's an idea. You guys can continue authoring Carson Wentz's Hall of Fame speech for him. And I'll get my political wisdom from people who actually know about taxes and ISIS and stuff like that. So on the today's show, it's a bye week. So we're going to spend today going over Sunday's victory over Detroit. Um, and then later this week we'll find some uh, some bigger issue things to talk about. And I'm hoping to have Wayne Larrabee on, on, on the podcast this week to talk about his new book. Uh, so we're gonna, like I said, we're gonna spend talk, today talking about the Detroit game, defense, special teams, and injuries coming up here on second, third, and fourth downs. But first, it's first down, and it's the return of Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers, obviously, with a terrific game on Sunday, bro- broke a 14-game streak without a pass rating over over 100. He entered the game ranked 31st in the NFL in yards per passing attempt, um, with about 5.4. He averaged about eight and a half on Sunday, which is more in line with his career numbers. So he looks like maybe he's back on track. For what it's worth, pro football focus. Give him their second best rating of all quarterbacks in week three. I'm going to take those numbers for what they're worth. You know, one thing I talked about in the world's best preview at PackerReport.com on Friday was Green Bay's passing chart. And earlier in the week, he was uh, Coach Mike McCarthy was asked about attacking up over the middle, and McCarthy agreed that they needed to do more of that. And you know, the numbers are pretty incredible. Here, this is what I came up with from the in the preview. In the first two games of Rodgers' uh, 69 passes, 41 were to the left. 41 out of 69. And then just uh, 13 over the middle, then 25 or then 15 to the right. So it was 41 left, 13 middle, 15 right. Now, obviously, that's a one-handed. This is what I called it in the story. It's a one-handed passing game with... with you know, basically 60-some percent of the passes going to the left side. Uh, yeah, 59.4 to the left. So on Sunday, of Rodgers' 24 passes, here's, here's the breakdown. Six to the left, 10 over the middle, eight to the right. So it's a completely different passing chart where, you know, if you, again, the over-the-middle passing game in, in weeks one and two, it was 18.8%. Week three, 41.7%. Now, that's obviously a... And I, I, tried to, I tried to get McCarthy or offensive coordinator Edgar Vant to talk about this, and, and, they, and they wouldn't say. Was, that the, was it the game plan? Was it play calling? Was it just discussions with riders reminding them, hey, go, go look over the middle? Was it uh, you know the weakness of Detroit's middle of the defense? I, I don't know. I, I, wish, I wish I could have gotten an answer from, from those guys. I couldn't do it. But the proof is in the pudding. You remember, you know, compared to the all-left passing game, the first two games, that that first drive, the third down conversion to Jared Cook, Cook lined up as a wide receiver to the right, 
Rodgers throws a bullet to him on a slant for the first down. Uh, the big play on that drive was a uh, pass to Randall Cobb, where Rodgers had all day in the pocket, showed a lot of patience, and then moved out to his right to extend the play and found Cobb wide open on the right for a, for a long gain. The touchdown, Devontae Adams. Adams lined up in the left slot. He slanted over the middle for the touchdown. Um, the next drive, Jordy Nelson was in the slot. And, and Rodgers was over the middle of the pass to, to Nelson for the a catch and run of, what, 49 there. So, it, you know, it's, it's hard to make a direct connection between it. But, it, you know, the, the proof seemed to be there where the, the passing attack was more diversified. They attacked the middle of the field more often. And, and Rodgers ends up with a big game. Um, when I asked McCarthy about it, here's what he had to say, not exactly answering the question, but it's still a, a good quote here. The middle of the field, to me, is the fastest way to the end zone. I was actually in the safeties meeting today with our safeties in the film review, talking about the middle of the field. You look at the player safety and the rules and the things that have happened in the last four or five years, they've made it very difficult for safeties to defend the middle of the field. So I think everybody in football understands that, that you want to attack it even more. But with that, there's coverages that can protect the middle of the field, too. We, we ran our offense yesterday. We had something on the first series. The first drive we saw something. Came back with the first play there to Jordy and took advantage of it. It was excellent execution between Aaron and Jordy. The protection was great. It's more about execution. Keeping our players in clean plays. Attacking the holes in the defense or the matchup in the defense. So there's nothing revolutionary that we did yesterday. We executed better on offense. And, and, and they certainly did. And... I think, they, obviously, they, they, they got to keep up with this. You just can't throw the ball to one-third of the field and ignore the other two-thirds. It, it makes life a lot more difficult for the receivers on the perimeter. And, you know, something that I mentioned in the podcast with, with Keith on after the game on Sunday, you know, I talked to Randall Cobb about the over-the-middle passing game and what does it do. And not only does it free things up on the perimeter by holding safeties, but it frees up the running game, too, because the, the linebackers just can't flow to the line of scrimmage. They have to hold in their spots for just that split second for fear that there will be a receiver coming behind them. And so they, it, it helps the running game, too. And, you know, for the first time all year, the Packers offense looked a lot like the Packers offense. So that leads us to one more thing here. Why did the Packers stop passing the ball in the second half? Green Bay's up 31-3. Then it's 31-10 at halftime after the, after the big play touchdown late there in the last, what, half minute of the half. And then the, the, the key here, at least from, from McCarthy's perspective, now you can argue that his, that his uh, thinking here is wrong if you'd like to, but you know Detroit comes out to start the second half with what, a, a seven-minute touchdown drive. So at that point, Green Bay is way behind in time of possession. They're still up two touchdowns, but they're way behind in time of possession. And, you know, we're gonna, and to refresh your memory, there's a lot of defensive guys on an inactive list. And McCarthy's worried about his guys just getting gassed because they're, they're playing shorthanded. So McCarthy, you know, to, you know, to basically use a basketball term, took the air out of the ball. And, look, he, he, want, he wanted to get Eddie Lacy going anyway, and he did that. Lacy had a, a big game, and he got some first downs. They were able to at least milk some clock there. But his, his thinking, and he said, would, he, would we like to throw in the ball? Sure, he said. But, you know, his thinking was he needed to protect the defense that was on the field. And, and ultimately, you know, Detroit ends up with a time of, time of possession advantage of more than 10 minutes. They ran, I think, 16 more plays. You know, this is something else we talked about in, in the in the preview on Friday at PackerReport.com. And we'll, well, I think we'll go into more on this set on, on Tuesday's podcast. But time of possession is, is a big thing for McCarthy this year because he thinks that's how teams win football games. And 
Uh, we'll talk about that more tomorrow. Is is he right? Is he wrong? I did, I did a lot of research on that topic yesterday, and I will. Uh, I will. If you didn't read the story at PackerReport.com, I will present that information to you tomorrow. On a second down, and how about that Packers run defense? Unbelievable through three games. Here, here are the uh, the numbers. 128 rushing yards allowed in three games. Last year, they allowed at least that number six times. That breaks down into 42.7 yards per game. Philadelphia is number two with 71 yards per game. So that's almost 30 yards per game difference. 25 teams are allowing at least double Green Bay's yardage. Packers also number one, number one in yards allowed per carry with 1.80. They're the only team in the league even allowing less than three yards per carry. The Giants are next at 3.18. The Jets at 3.31. And there are 23 teams allowing at least double of Green Bay's 1.8 average. It's a, It's been a remarkable start for a team that's... I, I've used this stat, given this stat to you guys a couple times, but it was 4.54 yards per carry last year and 4.54 yards per carry from 2010 through 2015. So getting get it down to 1.8 is, is pretty remarkable. That tackles for losses really stand out here. I, I, I did the math on this and did a little digging into the numbers. Through three games, Green Bay has 28 tackles for losses. Now, now there's the 10 sacks count in that. So that leaves you 18 tackles for losses. And a couple of those are, are behind the line of scrimmage passes, but I can't sort those out. So surely, if you get rid of the sacks, it's 18 tackles for losses. That's six per game. And that puts them on pace for 96. Last year, if you get rid of the sacks, they had 42 tackles for losses. In 2014, they had 29. So those two years combined, they had 71 tackles for losses. This year, it's 90, they're on pace for 96. So that's pretty remarkable. You know, heck, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I mean they, they have 18 now compared to 29 in 2014. So, I mean, they're, they're, already, they're already closer to the 2014 total. So it's, a, it's an amazing thing. And uh, defensive coordinator Dom Capers was asked about that on Monday, that why are they doing so well at that? And here's Capers quote. You know, I got, actually, got a, before I do this, got an email from someone the other day. Why do I read quotes? Why don't I just play them? Well, by NFL rules, I get to use 90 seconds of audio or video for 24 hours, and then it has to get taken down. So um, I guess I have better things to do with my life than to insert quotes into a podcast than take them back out 24 hours later. So I, I can read them, and they, and they will be there forever with my, my terrific reading voice. So... There's that. Anyway, here's Capers on the TFLs. Quote, our outside guys are doing a good job. I think we've got some physical guys there. Nick Perry. We didn't have Dayton yesterday. Julius Peppers. Those are bigger guys who can attack that we feel should be good matchups on tight ends and quite frankly on tackles because those guys play physical. Mike Daniels gives us a good physical presence inside. And so we've had more negative runs than we've had in the first three games than we normally have around here. We have to keep the element of it going. Because if we can get a negative run and the down and distance is in your favor, you can do whatever you want on the next down, basically, whether you want to cover or pressure. And one play there that 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 Capers pointed to was in the first quarter of the Detroit game where, where it was third and goal from the one, and the Lions hand the ball off and turned to a loss of a yard where Mike Daniels, I remember watching this on the replay live, not the replay live at the stadium. It doesn't make sense replay live, but you know what I'm saying. Watching the Fox replays from from Lambeau, I remember watching that play. Mike Daniels is over the right Detroit's right guard, 
and he just killed him. Larry Warford is the guy, good, a pretty good player, third round pick a couple of years ago, good player. And, and he pushed him about a yard or two into the backfield where the Lions were pulling a guy. So he ran to that mix and basically Daniels created the equivalent of a, of a 20 car pileup on, on I-94. So there's nowhere for the running back to go and he got hauled on for a loss. And that, and that's, that's kind of the play that they've had a lot of where their D lines got penetration and, and caused chaos and where a running back is expected to, you know, you know, run to one side, then maybe cut. He's had to make that decision earlier because he's had guys in his face. So that's that's been key for, for Green Bay's run defense. My question here, though, and I got this a couple times, both on email and, just, and then just in talking to the some of my colleagues in the locker room on Monday, waiting for the players to actually show up, is the run defense for real? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a great question. Jacksonville's old line's not any good. I mean, their, their, their top player, draft pick-wise, is Luke Jokel, who was like the number three pick a couple years ago. He was drafted to be their left tackle. Well, that didn't do so well, do so, well, so he was playing left guard. So that, that's kind of the state of their line. Not, not a great unit. Minnesota's offensive line, not very good. I mean, look at Adrian Peterson before he got here. He was averaging you know, a couple of yards a carry, like you know, the greatest running back of all time, having nowhere to run. So but Vikings O-line, not good. Detroit's O-line, even with three first-round picks and two third-round picks, not... Not good yet either. They might maybe maybe better than Minnesota and Jacksonville have, but not by a whole lot. And maybe they're going to get good in time. But it's it's a young group, and you know they got the first the rookie first round pick Taylor Decker's playing left tackle, and the Packers really killed that guy because he's playing left tackle. And then they put Riley Reap, who really is a left tackle. They put him over a right tackle, so that's probably not his best spot. So you got a, a left tackle playing right tackle and a rookie playing left tackle. So it's it's a young and in progress group. So I'm not sure how good that how good of a group of old lines are playing. So that's the question here. After the bye, they play the Giants in Week Five. And honestly, I have no idea if the Giants' old line is any good. I think maybe Marshall Newhouse is still starting. So so maybe not. I, I have no idea. But Week Six is Dallas, and obviously that they they've got the best old line in football, or it's trumped up to be there I mean, with all the early picks and. You know, Tyron Smith's like tremendous left tackle, and, and Travis Frederick, a tremendous center. I, know, I think they lost one of their guards, Lyle Collins. But it's, it's a great old line. So we'll find out how Green Bay is here in a, in a few weeks. And then week seven at Chicago, and, and their guards are pretty good. You might have heard of them, Kyle Long and that Josh Sitton guy. So at least they're, they're really good at guard, at least. So we'll, we'll, I think Green Bay's D-line will get tested at that point. But so far, so good. And if, you know, like Caper said, and it hasn't really panned out to date, but if you can create second and long and third and long, you're going to have a really good defense in the long run. Now, the, it hasn't panned out to that point yet. And, and I, I mentioned in our podcast with Keith Rodank after the game at Lambeau on Sunday night, is this going to be 2009 all over again where Green Bay had, to that date, the best run defense in franchise history on, by a statistical perspective, but then went to Arizona the playoff game and gave up 51 points because they couldn't stop Kurt Warner. So, you know, we'll get into the pass defense here tomorrow, but... You know, I, the the hope is that it's a bunch of young guys, and with some further seasoning, they'll get it together. This portion of Locked On Packers is brought to you by PackerReport.com. Packer Report members get 10% discounts on tickets and gear, plus get my exclusive content, such as the famous World's Best Preview before the game, and the Buy the Numbers and Play the Game breakdowns after the game. And if your business would like to reach out to Packers fans, you really should consider sponsoring this podcast, which had unbelievable growth in the past week. Email me at packwriter2002 at yahoo.com 
for demographic and pricing information. And you know, really email me anytime at packwriter2002 at yahoo.com. You know, if you got questions or whatever that maybe I can uh, hit on the podcast, you know, let me know, okay? Love to hear from you. That takes us to third down, and that'd be a look at the special teams. Two key plays from Sunday. One, the Ty Montgomery play on Detroit's kickoff after after Detroit scored a goal to pull in seven to three. Detroit's Sam Martin kicks the ball. So, sorry, a strange kickoff for one. The ball goes into the end zone and then bounces out. I don't think I've ever seen that before. And and Ty Montgomery with an unbelievable play here. Montgomery loops around behind the ball, puts his feet out of bounds, and basically lays down on his stomach to get the ball. And it, it, it ends up being a touchback. I mean, excuse me, not touchback. An out-of-bounds kickoff because, kind of like the fumble rule, to recover a fumble, you have to be all the way in bounds. If, you're, if one bit of you is out-of-bounds on a fumble, then you're out-of-bounds, and the recovery doesn't stand. Well, it's the same thing on a kickoff, strangely, where... If one part of you is out of bounds, <laughs> then the ball is deemed out of bounds. So it, it's a loophole that Montgomery took off. And if you go back to the 2012 game, late in the year, it's Green Bay against Tennessee at Lambeau. And Randall Cobb is a rookie at the time, and he's returning kickoffs. And the ball comes to a stop at the four. And, and, Mon- and Cobb keeps his feet on the sideline. Then picks up the ball, and we're all, you know, us writers, we don't, we don't know anything, right? We're all, we're, <laughs> we're all a bunch of idiots. So, what a stupid play we're thinking, and then they they call a touchback, and and well, of course, at that point, we we learn we learn what the rule is, and it was a great play by Cobb and a great play by Montgomery. The poise here by Montgomery is what's striking, and shows that he's a obviously a very intelligent, poised guy. I mean, all these guys are coming down the field, and there's a lot of things you could go through your head. Okay, the ball's out of the end zone. Do you got to pick it up and run with it? And at that point, you're going to get, you know, you're going to tackle the 10. Do you, do you, you know, the high school rule here, if the ball, if the kickoff touches in the end zone, it's an automatic touchback. Now, if you're Montgomery, are you thinking, okay, the ball's in the end zone, it's a touchback, I don't need to pick it up? Or do you second guess that, well, if I, and if I don't pick it up, is it an onside kick essentially, and Detroit can pick it up and then recover at the four or whatever? So, he had he play by Montgomery in, in the poise that he showed to, he made it just look so calm and easy. Second nature play, and you know, in fact, it was. Um, special teams coordinator Ron Zook said, had this to say yesterday. And here's a guy who's he's been coaching for almost 40 years. So take this first line here. It's the first time I've actually ever seen it in person. But I've coached that. We've coached that. Randall did it before. Talking about that, that play against Tennessee. Randall did it before I got here. He's seen that play. I don't know how many times. Just being able to do it in the heat of battle. You can talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. But it was obviously a big play for us and got us out to the 40-yard line. And it was a big play because Green Bay takes over at the 40. Four plays later, they score again, and it's 14-3. to And they kicked off a 24-point run to make go up 31-3. Uh, Zook said Montgomery's probably seen that play four times in, in camp in the start of the season. Kind of their rules reminder. So a heck of a play by Montgomery. And you know what? Montgomery hasn't done much at wide receiver this year, but... He had the block punt against Minnesota, and they made this play, and he's going to return kick. He's a proven asset as a returner. He's a, he's a good special teams player. And they add in Jeff Janis, who I, I assume that club's going to come off here after the bye or shortly thereafter. And, you know, Chris Banjo and J. Ron Elliott made their season debuts, and those are core special teams guys. You know, the special teams held their own without, Ban, without Banjo and Janis. 
in a kind of a one-handed, or without Banjo and Elliot, and a one-handed Janus. You know, they, they held their own for three weeks, and I, I think this unit's got a chance to be pretty good. They, they've they've covered kicks well. They haven't been that much in the return game, but Ron Zook was confident they would get that going at some point. One more noteworthy play on special teams was the, the play by punter Jake Shuman on a bad snap by Brett Goode. He he caught the ball, got the kick off. Um, actually, a pretty decent kick, too. Not much hang time, but I think it was like a 44-yard punt. Good play there. Shum is a height challenge, so to speak. And I remember walking into the locker room after the game on Sunday, and, and he looks kind of like one of the trainers, about the same height as one of the trainers. He's got a beard. So I kind of took a double take, and wondering who, who was sucking reporters. Oh, yeah, that's the punter. So a, a good play there to say, you know, ultimately Detroit scores anyway, but... And, you know, I was talking to, you know, me and Rob Domofsky and Jason Woldley sit next to each, sit next to each other in the press box, and I can't remember Goode ever having a bad snap. So that was a, a noteworthy play by Goode. I mean, here's a guy who's snapped for 100 and some games for these guys, and, you know, probably his first bad snap. So a good play there ultimately didn't matter. But, you know, I, I, I think, assuming Shum can get this, find some consistency and stuff, I think the special teams has got a chance to be pretty good. They were, they were good last year. And if nothing else, Shum has his control of the return game. He hasn't kicked the ball very far, and you know, part of me wonders how he's going to hold up when he when the, when the weather gets cold. He's averaging about forty-one yards per punt now. I mean, what, what when when it's December and it's ten degrees out, is he going to be kicking thirty-six yarders? I I wonder that. But if he can get it going at least a, a little bit more, the, the, the coverage has been really good, and I think you know. I, uh, McCarthy's focus has been getting all three phases to play together, and, and the special teams took a really good step forward last year. And you know we'll see if they can do that again this year. But at least they're they're off to a decent start with a chance to get better. On a fourth down, and that would be the bye week injury report. Um, as you know, Green Bay was out without five of their top defenders on Sunday. One of those Sam Shields with a concussion. That was his second consecutive game missed, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter. Shields is expected to at least miss another few weeks here, so by another another game or so after that bye, he'll miss. Then a group of safety Morgan Burnett out with a groin. Outside linebacker Clay Matthews with ankle and hamstring. Elephant Dayton Jones with a knee. And defensive tackle Latroy Guyon with a knee. Coach Mike McCarthy was asked about those four specifically on Monday, about whether they'd be back after the bye. And McCarthy said, I hope so. This is actually a really good quote here coming up. I have no reason to think that I won't, but at the end of the day, they have to go through the testing and pass everything and so forth. And this is the good part here. You know, history will tell you that they feel great because they know that their schedule will be affected greatly if they don't feel great right now. They're feeling better than they did. I'm hopeful that we'll be okay there. And what McCarthy says is, you know, during the bye, players are allowed to go home or go you know, visit family or do whatever they want to do for, the, for those you know, five, six days. Unless you're so injured that you need significant um, work of the training staff. And then you have to stay in Green Bay. So so McCarthy's hope is, you know, when everybody says that they're feeling great, they're not saying that just so they can go home <laughs> rather than stay in Green Bay with the medical staff the entire time. So we'll, we'll see. It was, you know, it's, you know, that, that buy comes out. When the schedule comes out, you see the buy in week four, you think, oh, that's, that's terrible because they got, you know, 13 consecutive games now coming out of the buy and then, you know, Perhaps more with the playoffs. 13 consecutive games without a break. Well, they don't have that. They're going to have to go. I mean, if you get a week eight break, it's, you mean in a perfect world, you get a week seven, week eight, whatever, and you get that halfway through the year timeout. Well, they're not going to have that. So it's, it's a great timing now. 
we'll see if we think it's a great timing away, you know, in November, December when they're when they've been playing hard for for a significant period. But for for now, though, it seems to be seems to be good timing. And um, a couple other injuries, uh, according to ESPN's Rob Domofsky, tight end Jared Cook's ankle injury not season ending, but probably going to keep him out here. You know, maybe maybe miss a game or so after the bye. Quite sir, quite sir for Cook. Six catches and eleven targets for fifty three yards. Key loss there though. I mean, he's, I, I think he'd have been a focal point versus Detroit. I mean, you saw you saw how what Cook can do. It was he was third and what five on that first series, and Cook lines up as a wide receiver on the right, runs a slant, gains fifteen because he's so big and fast. It's, it's a brutal matchup, and and he was I think I think I think he'd had, I think he would have had a big game against Detroit, but we'll never know now. So the question is, will it be? More of three receiver sets to offset that loss if he misses a game or two. Um, against Detroit, they, I mean, they basically just kept going two tight ends. It was and it was Justin Perillo. They went. Uh, Richard Rodgers played forty three snaps. Perillo seventeen. Cook fourteen. That's a total of seventy tight end snaps in a fifty four snap game. So it was a lot of double tight end stuff. Devontae Adams played twenty five snaps or forty six percent of the game. You know, in part because. Because Cook can play is a, is a receiver, or you know they just ran two tight ends. So, the question you know, it'll be interesting to see coming out of the bye. Will they go to more three receiver sets? And does that mean Devonte Adams is back to playing you know 80, 90, 100 percent of the snaps, or will it be more of Trevor Davis who played twelve, more of Ty Montgomery who played just four? You know, will will Jeff Janis get the same things? You know, if that club cast comes off after the bye, will Jared Everdares get out of the witness protection program? So there's a They've got a lot of options, so that's the that's the the upside, and uh, they'll need every one of them with, with, without Cook to get this offense at least get, keep this offense continuing on the right path. And that's it for today's episode of Locked On Packers. Be sure to check out my stuff at PackerReport.com and the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network. We have Locked On NFL, Locked On Fantasy, and basically have the entire NFL covered. As always, my sincere thank you for listening. Have a great day, and I will talk to you tomorrow. What you doing? Ran out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop! At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS, wireless, figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.